Well, what do you know? It is time for the Week in IndyCar listener Q&A show here on the Marshall Pruitt Podcast. Brought to you by Cooper Tires, the Justice Brothers, and who? TorontoMotorsports.com. It is a Wednesday evening. Might be the latest I have gotten to doing the Week in IndyCar in a little while. Why? Well, it's been one of those weeks, y'all. Not a bad thing. Not a bad thing at all. Just, yeah, there's this little event called the Rolex 24 Daytona. And each year, since it's the first big race of the year on my calendar, I tend to lose my mind and try and do a stupid amount of content for it. So lo and behold, here we are on a Wednesday evening and I'm just getting to listener Q and a, I've actually already post our guest show post posted. Sure. Whatever. Al, 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 Al Rossi, a fine purveyor, not quite uh, the sausage king of Chicago, but we'll go with Al Rossi, the comforter king of Reno city, Nevada city, California, wherever he's from. I have no idea. I've never been there, but I know he's from California. I like that part. Am I drunk? Sadly, no coffee and water. All I've had today, but as you've come to expect with this unpolished turd of a show of mine, Eh, I probably sound drunk more often than usual. So when I sent out the call for questions, I said we should be seeing a bunch of driver confirmations and announcements this week. Turns out I've been kind of sort of right. Just a little bit of background before we get rolling here. There's one other item I've had a couple folks ask for me to share, so I will. Before we get your Q&A, just a little bit of background so uh, I've had one or more teams tell me, oh, yes, we're going to be announcing our drivers next week, starting in, I don't know, I think early December. And then it's another week and it's another week and nothing happens and nothing happens. Well, yeah. So was given some insight recently that, hey, uh, we are for sure, without a doubt, definitely and certainly we are going to be hearing one team announced both drivers on the same day. That was supposed to be on Tuesday. And then another team was going to announce their one remaining driver on Thursday, that being tomorrow or whenever you might be listening to this. Had things get jumbled a little bit. The team that was going to announce both at the same time said, well, okay, we're actually only going to be able to do one. So we got to learn about the mighty fine kid, still a kid known as ed jones so really happy for ed um he was supposed to be announced on tuesday instead he was announced on wednesday the should we say even finer we can i think we can james hinchcliffe was supposed to be announced on thursday he wasn't he was announced on tuesday so the spin the roulette of when people actually get announced thing it's been a little bit of fun i am glad though that two of the three remaining significant holes in full-time driver stuff has been resolved so makes me very very happy there for sure and yeah what are we going to hear next week i think we're maybe supposed to well that other coin entry which if you happen to read my little sidebar story with Ed Jones today on Racer, <clears throat> we're still expecting Romain Groschon to be his teammate. 
And as I think I mentioned last week on the show, there's a pretty strong rumor that young sports car driver Cody Ware will be doing the races that Romad does not, which sure sounds like the ovals. Uh, so, yeah. Um, after that, I mean, what do we have to confirm? We have Carlin Racing's ovals, uh, thinking that might not be too different from what happened last year in plugging in there. Uh, we got a couple other things happening. So, altogether, though, I think we're pretty darn close to having the field set for not only full-time, but even the part-timers and such. So, yeah, not so bad, I would say. Other thing, too, that a couple folks have asked about, and I'll just give you a brief update. Realize that I used to, on almost every episode, share some sort of insight on how things are going on the home front. Not so much myself, but uh, my wife and uh, our ongoing fight uh, to overcome breast cancer and some mobility challenges. Haven't mentioned a lot for a while, probably because it's just gotten to such a place where it's so normal and routine that it just hasn't stood out to me for a while. So I apologize because I know, uh, although some just want me to shut up and get to the Q&A, there seems to be at least as many, if not more, who send in notes saying, hey man, how's your wife doing? So just share quickly here that it's pretty much the same status update as always. Lots of positive things happening, more improvements happening, not at the finish line. Uh, We don't know when that will be. Do know that if we're just talking time, we got this diagnosis at the end of August, I believe, 2018, was it? Is it 2018? 20, yeah, Jesus, the end of 2018. So, boy, yeah, whole calendar year finishing out 2018, whole calendar year of 2019, then yet another with 2020. I I apologize. I'm not actually trying to say dumb, obvious things about time and years and calendar stuff, but it actually just occurred to me that it was, <laughs> Jesus, uh, latter stages of 2018. Sometimes the time kind of blends together. So, uh, wow. It's a lot longer than I had actually allowed myself to process or realize. Um, we're doing okay. We're, we're just, we're in a groove and have been in a groove for a long time of chemo and physical therapy and physical therapy and chemo and a variety of other appointments all to help and restore and improve, uh, I know none of that's very personal. I'll just share this, which I know is just, it's been on my heart for a little while. The one hard thing about this is watching her in pain and seeing her in pain. And that's a pretty big part of this overall experience for her. So, man, and I'll tell you, (laughs) There is nothing that makes you feel more powerless and more inconsequential than seeing the one you love in a place where the pain and discomfort is just radiating from them and 
can't really do a lot in the way of, you know, pills and other things that might ease the pain because that counteracts with some of the other things uh, that are happening, need to happen medically. Um, don't really want to be, there's no like, oh, we'll just massage this and the pain goes away. It's just pretty serious pain. And to have to endure that, not saying every day, all day, but to have it be a regular component in your life. Oh man, it is, uh, that's a challenge. And so not saying this because I want sympathy, please don't mention anything about this on social media. Uh, what this again, just talking to y'all directly, uh, like family, like I try to do. Um, that's the only thing. And that's this thing I've just shared is genuinely nothing about me. It's just the empathy and the God, I would do anything to take that away and bring it onto myself. Um, that's just, it's just been part of the deal of, uh, what she's been going through. And so, yeah, uh, whenever I happen to mention how much I love her and how fortunate I am and all those things, um, the respect and admiration and appreciation for her strength and willpower to not lay down, which I think, I don't know if I would, right? I've never been in this situation where you are not only fighting these medical, serious medical challenges, but also you wake up every day and there's something that's in pain, on fire, uh, just, right? Your body feels like it's always fighting against you. I, I don't know. I don't know how well I would do. I, I question whether I have the same strength and resolve as she does uh, just because I haven't had to go through it. But I do know that with her, you just want to wave some sort of magic wand and not only have all the medical challenges gone, but just lift that that shroud of, of pain and darkness that seems to, uh, if it's not there, it's not far away. So, yeah, um, I probably haven't gone that deep on stuff for a while. Uh, I guess I've gotten pretty good at just keeping it to myself. But for whatever reason, I felt compelled to share that. So, again, please keep that here on the podcast. It's really not meant for sharing. So, let's get going. All right? Music bed, right? That's the thing. Roll in the music bed, rockety rock and roll, so on and so forth. Uh, where are we going first? Well... We got a couple of questions here about the peacock. Uh, let's see. Sad and shy from Reddit. Wario and ready from Reddit. Lake effect racing from Facebook and Cade Fulling from Facebook. We're going to crack open the major topic and visit for a minute with this here about the move of indie cars. I'm going to get this right because I got a l- email from NBC Sports informing me that I failed massively on referring to its proper name in an article that I wrote. Uh, NBC Sports IndyCar Track Pass or IndyCar Track Pass. Please just use that is basically what I was told. And hey, 
you dumbass, could you go back and correct the errors in the story you filed? That's not what they wrote, but it was the gist, and I can't argue with any of it. Um, so everything's moving over to Peacock in that regard. Just throw it here quickly because it's not a question that's asked among the four who've submitted things, but I have gotten it from others saying, so if IndyCar's going over to Peacock, does that mean that NBC Sports and NBC Gold is going to move all their other racing stuff off of the whatever track passes they have, like IMSA and AMA and whatever? I don't know on all of them. I just know that IMSA has already had a some track pass activity this year, so I believe that's where they're going to stay for the year we would obviously expect them to move over to Peacock in 2022, I guess. But for right now, the only thing that I know of is IndyCar. Uh, and yeah, that actual dedicated, let me read it correctly once again. I was about to mess up and do it wrong. IndyCar track pass. Um, yeah, that's dead. So Sad and Shy says, hey, Marshall, have you been following the uh, Peacock Developments also mentions with WWE signing a long-term deal with streaming rights to Peacock. It is looking more likely that IndyCar would maybe sign on there. Um, I know negotiation is certainly part of what is happening and will continue to happen in terms of creating a new deal after this one is over, I think, at the end of the year believe i do believe indycar is in a position which is different than some of the racing properties found within nbc sports where they actually receive money compared to pay to be there i couldn't tell you whether they're going to get more less the same or whatever i would think they would stay i can't really think of anyone else that is going to be just clamoring to throw more money to top NBC sports uh, and take IndyCar to another network. So could happen, of course, but I have a feeling they're going to stay and I hope they do because I love uh, the work that they do and what NBC sports has done. So yeah, I got to believe they're going to stay and on the wrestling angle, for those of you who know, lifelong WWE fan, WWF, frankly, it's where I, I think my first event I went to was like 1984, 85, something like that. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, long time. Um, I do love the idea that with uh, what we would hope would be some IndyCar popping up on USA Today, USA Today. That's a newspaper, you moron. On the USA Network? Good Lord. i got to drink beer so I can justify my stupidity. Um, I would hope, since that's uh, a home to the WWE, that we would have a real reason to have an IndyCar and WWE crossover at some point in time. Um, but yeah, I, I love it. Uh, I, I'm happy that this is happening. I'm not happy that NBCSN is going away so much, but... I do like the fact that if we're talking racing series, IndyCar appears to be part of NBC Sports kind of early adoption plans among the many series that they present. I like the fact that IndyCar is at the forefront of this instead of kind of back of the pack. Oh, hey, that's right. We forgot you're on our channel. Oh, hey, yeah, sure. All right, you can come over here and play. Streaming on Peacock. I was about to call it Cockpea. 
I'm not even going to re-record any of this. I, like I said, if this is your first time listening, this is as good as it gets. I make no attempt to, to cover any of the blemishes, redo anything. This is just me and a brain that's usually pretty soggy and wet by the time I start recording. So anyways, let me move on to the next question. Maybe I'll make fewer mistakes. Uh, Wario Andretti says, it looks like a decent chunk of IndyCar season will end up on Peacock. Do you know how the series feels about this? Maybe I'm wrong, but I don't see a lot of younger people that signed up to watch The Office randomly stumbling upon IndyCar or older fans following them over to the app. So do you think this will hurt uh, them with growing their audience? Huh. I don't, I don't know if it will. I don't think it will. I don't get any money for saying this, so please don't confuse what I'm about to share as like, hey, I'm being a paid endorser. Uh, As I have said and many people have said to me in the last couple of days, hey, it's $4.95 a month for Peacock, um, and you get everything, plus your IndyCar practices and qualifying and or whatever else, Uh, not the races, but you get more or less all the IndyCar track pass stuff that you had that you paid forty nine ninety five for the year. So basically uh, the same amount. Hey, all the stuff that you got on just this dedicated sliver of streaming with this IndyCar content, well, you pay that amount and you get all that. Plus you get everything basically that NBC streams, which is a lot. So yeah, I think... This might end up being, for those who are willing to see it this way, Mr. and Mrs. Wario Andretti, for those who have been reluctant to stream, I think this might be the thing where you go, oh, okay, well, actually, that maybe this is a good one to do. For those who aren't Amazon priming, huluing, uh, Roku-ing, Netflixing, etc., etc., um, maybe this is a good introduction because you realize, all right, cool. So I get a ton of stuff that I like, plus the IndyCar thing that I want. Eh, not so bad. As for the, what hipster 22 year old that is just seeing the office for the first time and digging Shroot beet farms and whatever other stuff. And they're going to then see IndyCar and then fall in love with it because it's on Peacock. I I would have to agree. I don't foresee this changing anything or the needle moving so much, but we've all known and been saying for more than a decade. And by we all, I mean, I don't know, however many of us that look streaming is clearly going to be the wave of the future here. And while this type of thing is happening later than maybe initially expected, it just feels like this is time moving on and marching on. So there are a couple other angles to this as well. And so let me get into some of the other thoughts on this with some of the other questions here. Uh, Lake effect racing says, I read the article from Robin on racer about the death of NBCSN. Robin talks about how we pay for TV anyways, and it's not a game changer moving to USA or Peacock. I disagree as some of us still use an antenna. And I use free services like Roku and Pluto to name a few. Uh, last weekend, I watched a chili bowl on Roku for free. Robin went on to talk about IndyCar doing their own production 
and made me think that those free TV apps may be a good alternative. Uh, they have worldwide exposure on demand. They have commercials, uh, and you uh, do not have to stand in front of a TV executive. Uh, okay, it says there's also no complications on pulling it up on your phone and being in the proper location to get the services. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I realize that a lot of folks have done cord cutting. We have not. Um, we have shifted a lot of things, though, to streaming platforms. So we subscribe to a number of, whether it is networks or similar, a lot of the ones that I just mentioned we happen to subscribe to. Um, our situation is maybe a little more unique than some, knowing that many days of the week, sometimes five days of the week, we are in the car traveling all over the Bay Area to various appointments, sitting and waiting, uh, at the appointments just for hours, you know, with not a lot more to do than to sit in a chair and receive, you know, chemo or whatever, whatever. And so in those instances, it's absolutely brilliant to be able to go to one's phone or tablet or whatever, find the things that amuse you and help pass the time and stream like fools. So, but I know that's not totally unique, I think a lot of people these days do that on a daily basis as well. But again, some it's like, hey, cool, on the bus or the whatever to work, I watched this for a half hour. Others, it might be a couple hours a day or whatever it is. But I guess I would just say I can't speak to everyone's finances. And I know you mentioned a number of free services here and, and whatnot and um, still use an antenna and such awesome no issues again nothing to offer there i would say though that this is just a case of preference but i think it's also a case of we're now kind of getting the full notification that the world's moving on a bit so only thing i can share that jumps out that is parallel or similar to me it is I in my late teens starting in my late teens through early thirties. Uh, I also did I was a DJ. Did any of you know that? I it was just like house parties and stuff like that, no club stuff, but uh DJ'd a lot. One of my friends and roommates was uh, a DJ and all we would do on free weekends was just fly around, walk around, bus around, whatever it was, San Francisco, going to various used record stores. And so my album collection, actual vinyl collection, has been sitting in storage for I don't know how long. I don't know, like 3,000 plus? I mean, I actually need to start selling some of that stuff because it's doing nothing for me, uh, collecting dust. Same with CDs. I don't know how many, maybe the same amount, a ton right? Just crazy amounts. And that just sounds like I am from a time when the world was black and white. I think for probably a lot of folks like what you, we understand that maybe you had those things in the past, but you still have them and cling to them. I do. I haven't actually put a CD in a CD player uh, or a record onto a turntable in forever but I have the devices to do that, and I have the discs to do that. 
uh, granted, everything that I've done for quite a while now has been all digital. Um, don't really stream music. Still prefer to buy uh, music and have those digital files that I own. But regardless, I just think of where we're at with IndyCar saying, well, I shouldn't say IndyCar, NBC Sports saying, and IndyCar obviously agreeing, that, hey, let's just take this away from being kind of a a niche track pass offering just for IndyCar fans and say, look, we're just going to roll this into our overall package. Come join us here. This is where things are going. I think that's just a signal that that's where we're at. So it's not as if you can't keep doing the antenna and Roku and Pluto and whatever else, whatever works for you. Awesome. Just think for the, the holdouts, you're like, ah, it's cable or nothing. Uh, stream my ass and whatever. Again, personal preference. We kind of gotten to the place though, where we think we are not, uh, too far away from, a peacock-like situation uh, taking a greater and greater role. And the last little thing here to note is, yes, the USA, not today, USA Network. Um, As we've seen, NASCAR is going to be there. We know that NBCSN has a ton of sports properties. USA airs a lot of different things, dramas and comedies and whatnot, and some sports and WWE and whatnot. If it's going to be used more frequently for sports, you have to wonder, are they going to... It'd be strange if NBCSN was ditched just to repurpose one of its other channels to become all sports. So I don't think that's... I don't know if that's going to happen, but I don't think it will. But you just have to wonder, well, if USA is just going to still be showing a lot of... uh, God, what do they show? All the Dick Wolf shows, Law and Order and SVU, I think. All that stuff, too, and et cetera, et cetera. Um, how much true free space are we going to have for all this racing and sports content? Could it be where some of the bigger performers, the NASCARs and whatnot, will indeed get USA time and some of the others that maybe aren't giant uh, audience deliverers, maybe they become uh, more common on a peacock. So these are the things that we are looking forward to learning about once 2022 and beyond arrives, assuming IndyCar stays with NBC Sports. Uh, but yeah, for those who haven't wanted to embrace or convert or modify or add, I would say that option is not going to be on the table for too much longer. Uh, last item here about Peacock and IndyCar and television. Cade Foling says, am I the only one excited about the prospect uh, of IndyCar races possibly going to a streaming service? This is one of IndyCar's biggest problems for years. It's been attracting a younger audience. What better way to do that than broadcasting some IndyCar races on a platform that most young people use uh, to get their entertainment? Uh, so it seems to me also that sharing a streaming service with the most streamed show in the world, he says the office isn't a bad idea. Also, four ninety nine a month is a lot cheaper than cable. But I digress. Yeah, uh, we happen to be Xfinity subscribers, so by chance uh, we get Peacock for free, and uh, we've used it a couple times, but not a ton. 
So, yeah, and I've seen The Office so many times, and it's still on Comedy Central. Uh, yeah, boy, um, I'm never far away from seeing Jim and Pam and Stanley and everyone else in The Office if I want to. Um, it's, it can't be a bad thing, Cade, I would hope, but I just don't know how IndyCar and or NBC Sports tries to spin this into something that gets the Utes to look and pay attention for the first time. So I, that's the part that my ignorance is showing. How do you do that? How do you say, Hey, you young kids of today, we got the streaming box for you and watch the Indy cars. I don't know how they do that, but I hope they do it. I hope they figure out a way to peak interests and, and such. I don't know, but the the major thing that I have mentioned recently about this that stands as a question is most sponsors are still beholden to Nielsen ratings, television ratings, not so much streaming ratings. We would think as the world evolves, they would have to evolve. Question here, if we're talking about things that might not be easily answerable right now is hey will having x amount of races potentially on peacock in the future is that something where sponsors will say okay we will accept whatever those numbers are in place identical value to the amount of money we give you what if by chance fewer people watch the streams than they have on nbcsn uh could that be problematic in terms of sponsors staying or valuing how much money they give at the same level? Again, questions we don't have answers to, but if you were to speak to the folks in charge of marketing and the business development side of the series and the teams, I can guarantee you this is stuff they're sweating a little bit right now going, man, uh, as long as the television changes don't come with us losing money, change away if this is going to spook our sponsors or have them going total audience delivered what number is that what does that mean um give me a nielsen number you could have uh, a few issues so i don't know um time is here i guess speaking of time we're going to move to a second topic that we'll visit with for just a little bit and then after that i am telling you we are we are going to bend the throttle pedal because we are going to be pressing it so hard. That is our man, my favorite, as I refer to him, blockheaded Brazilian, Gilles Deferrin. No longer a part of the McLaren racing family, no longer employed there. His contract was not renewed when it ended uh, following the 2020 season little truth and podcasting here uh i learned about this <laughs> from our fine question submitter and member of the prude uh podcast subcult um daniel summersgill i gotta thank you for this my man so this is probably nothing more than an excuse it's just being honest with you i had no idea I didn't know about Gilles leaving McLaren until you submitted the question. And I then did a little bit of research and found out that four or five days earlier, 
uh, friend of the show, McLaren CEO, Zach Brown gave an interview to an F1 site where, however it came up, he happened to mention Gilles was uh, no longer part of the company. And so the silly little story that I posted on Monday or Tuesday about this, which actually to my great surprise had a lot of traffic, a lot of people reading about it. I'm only like five days late to the news, y'all. Granted, I'm not the only one responsible for writing content, but however it works, man, thank you, Daniel. I was like blown away by not only missing that, but the fact that our Week in IndyCar show is actually helping me do my job when I don't get stuff uh, on my radar. So, Daniel says, what do you understand the reason for Gilles leaving, uh, well, you said the SPAM letters. Uh, I don't say those on the show anymore. I try to be nice. Our friends at Aaron McLaren SP have, have politely asked to uh, uh, leave that meat-based product. Are we sure it's meat? Anyways, uh, meat in a can, leave that product out from uh, references here. I still do every now and then, but uh, we'll just be nice and say Aaron McLaren SP. Uh, what do I understand of the reasoning be? said, having read that his contract isn't being renewed, seems quite odd considering the team met or even overachieved what it wanted to in 2020. Uh, Daniel, you closed by saying, is he just surplus to requirements? Robbie Berggren, you add Marshall. Gilles DeFerrin has not had his contract renewed. Do you see this affecting the Aaron McLaren SP team? Well, I'll give you a little bit of background here. After being alerted to this thing that I missed by a mile by Daniel, I called my favorite blockheaded Brazilian, Gilles de Ferrin, who, in probably no surprise, knowing how fast he is, uh, sent me to voicemail on the second ring. And what does that tell you? Does it tell you he's really busy? No, it tells you that he knows the reason you're calling and he doesn't want to talk. And so or speak, if I use gooder grammar, uh, tells you everything you need to know. Doesn't need to fire back a text right away. Just, you go, okay, got it. Um, reached out to our friends at McLaren, knowing that he was a McLaren employee, and asked, hey, read the story. Could you share whatever insights, a quote, whatever, which they did and was told by them, which I think was pretty straightforward in the story that I wrote, that they said, look, you know, we'd achieved everything we meant to achieve, and there you go. That's, I'd say, pretty darn close to everything being spot on for what it was. I'll add one other thing, though, and this is just a little bit of insight, having been around Gilles, the the very first team that he ran that he created to fair in motorsports by chance happened to be covering the America Le Mans series in 2008 was there for its debut was there for the announcement of it was there for the race debut of it did tons of stuff with Gilles um lots of great folks who are in charge of running the team Ando John Anderson um his IndyCar stuff just got a pretty good feel for Gilles team's his involvement, how he did, what he did, what he was responsible for, what he wasn't. And a lot of those things came up in learning about this non-contract renewal. 
Gilles is very much an idea guy. Brilliant race car driver, engineer-minded, big picture, little picture, minutia, engineering, engineering. Gilles is very much a creative type. Call him an artist, more of an artist than upper management-minded. With that in mind, as I mentioned just a second ago, but this, I think, might apply to the why didn't they keep Gilles in this kind of sporting-ish director link between McLaren Racing and Air McLaren SP building the IndyCar team? Why didn't they hold on to him for year after year after year? Gilles an idea guy. Gilles not a hands-on, give me a blank organization chart, and this is where I'm going to put every person I'm going to interview everybody, find their core competencies, find their weaknesses. We're going to put this person in some form of aptitude and training improvement area. This person we're going to shift sideways. Uh, This is how we are going to communicate and liaise. Everything is going to go through this person or these people here, and this is how information is going to trickle up. This is how engineering information is going to cross from the UK to Indianapolis and vice versa. This person is now here. That person is now there. No, not those dampers. We're going to use the, that's to my understanding, longer understanding of Gilles. That's not Gilles. Gilles an idea person. And so while that is integral, important, and highly valuable, the folks who are doing the actual, call it building and constructing and creating and morphing and moving and all those things, the actual building of a team, finding of strengths, weaknesses, improving communication, the day-to-day foundation, building and running of a successful blended IndyCar team like we have with Air McLaren SP. That's an Air McLaren SP thing. That is a newly promoted team president, Taylor Kyle. Uh, Trying to think of the crew chiefs on the cars, trying to think of a Billy Vincent who is there, trying to think of a Jeff Darks who's been there forever, trying to think of a lot of people, call them shop floor people and or the offices overlooking the shop floor. Those are the folks who are truly the ones making the day-to-day developments, changes, and improvements come to life. And so that is not disrespecting or taking anything away from my pal Gilles. But Gilles not the guy showing up at 6 a.m., with coffee for everybody saying, okay, team building exercises. Hey, let's strip down this process for the next three hours and find the areas of improvement and how all of these little bits of minutia are going to be tweaked that are going to help us in some way, shape, or form. I've never known Gilles to be that guy. It's been more of the got the paintbrush, making some big strokes, maybe some smaller strokes, but there's really going to be someone else that comes in 
and actually does and finishes the full painting to then be put into service. So I think that's somewhere close to why we saw Gilles was not renewed. Not because he did anything bad, wrong, or trying to get rid of him, but the actual construction part of this, the the painting, the portrait, that wasn't really ever going to be Gilles. So I get why this has not continued forward. Last thing to mention here, uh, Gilles did respond, I think about a day later to my call, just responded with a text saying, hey, uh, what say we catch up here in a week or two or something like that? I said, great, man. Again, there's no rush, no whatever. I'm not so much interested in the past. I'm more interested in where do you go from here? What do you do? And so hopefully we can have that conversation, maybe even in podcast form. So there's that. And thank you for asking Daniel for letting me know I was behind the ball and Robbie as well. Uh, Dean Ackerman, how you doing, Dean? Says, hey, Marshall, obviously COVID-19 has sucked as it tossed so much into chaos last year. This includes Felipe Nazar debuting an IndyCar with the Carlin team. Says, do you think any of these driver announcements will include news on the former F1 and current IMSA DPI pilot getting his chance in IndyCar? I absolutely do not, unfortunately, Dean. Um, I've since learned, you know, without going too far into things, that, I mean, it was awesome that Felipe was available when they called him to test. Some of you might remember the story. It was this crazy, wasn't so much trains, but kind of a planes, trains, and automobiles type explosion of get from Brazil to Miami and then get to, I forget where they tested, but um, this was the most last minute of last minute call-ups. And as I recall, uh, although I think this was a little bit unpublished, there was someone else meant to be in the car and there was a very much last minute change and Felipe was more stand-in. We know that he was meant to at least do the season opener at St. Pete, but uh, as I've come to understand, there was not a serious funding uh, initiative behind him or overall plan to try and keep him. Um, Felipe was really being to come asked to come in and fill a very unanticipated vacancy in a car and i think they also wanted to just try and showcase that hey we have a very capable team and hopefully some folks will see that hopefully we will perform well in testing and that will either get funded drivers or any of the sponsors we're talking to to step up so just need to recalibrate that a little bit here that as i have very recently come to understand uh, the goal of Felipe becoming an IndyCar driver was not some item that was hatched and developed and just got derailed by COVID. It was more of a, well, uh, this is a plan B, and we'll see if we can get back to this plan A we were choosing, but uh, he was not the original intended person for that seat. Don't know who the intended person was, but there you go. So would I love to see him? Do I think folks are sleeping on him? Do I think it's ridiculous? Yes. Um, would folks reconsider him towards the end of the year? I believe when his contract is up, I hope the guy has the talent to be a front runner in IndyCar. That's to me, not even a question, but just as we know that 
IndyCar can be territorial. That happens in a lot of series. So sometimes when you're not in that series and people see you and know you and have a comfort with you, they tend to think you're a little bit of an outsider and maybe don't go too far to see if you should be in that series. Andy Bauer. How you doing, Andy? Says Marshall, continued prayers for your wife's recovery. Thanks, man. Seriously, thank you. Says in a recent mailbag, Robin Miller indicated that Romain Groschon, I don't know why I love pronouncing it that way, but I do, and it's stupid, but there I am. Uh, it says Romain was bringing funding to his deal with Coin. Says if the contracts weren't signed already, would he be someone Andretti could consider to fill the open seat in the 98 car when Marco isn't driving it? Says on the surface, Groschon bringing some funding and not exhibiting a lot of public desire to drive the ovals seems like a possible fit. That's a a great question, Andy. I hadn't really considered that one. The amount that I believe someone else mentioned he is bringing is $3 million. I have had heard that number suggested uh, beforehand as well. Can't tell you if it's an accurate number. Just know that I heard that number and uh, heard someone else had mentioned that as well. So at 3 million, you are at a little over half a budget. So get a million dollars for the leader circle. So that's 4 million still leaves you about 2 million ish shy of what most teams are wanting and asking for. Some can obviously do it for a little bit less coin is known to be one that can operate at under 6 million a year. So that's why we might suggest there's another driver that's going to come in and do some other races, bringing funding to cover off that full budget. With that all said, the entry we're talking about with Marco, at least missed out on that leader circle. So if Romad did bring 3 million, it truly be half of a budget. And without going too far into something we've discussed many, many times before, not wanting to, just repeat it. Nobody is accused in Dreddy Autosport of being overflowing with money of late. And that's not, again, criticism. There's nothing that I'm saying that's negative about them. Just saying there's been some developments, uh, some changes and whatnot. Uh, rough 2020 as well with COVID and all the things we know. Um, just know the team to not be sitting in a place where a guy could show up with $3 million and say, you're in. It would be... That's great. Tell us when you're going to get us the other half. So maybe calling back to the Hinch announcement here in the final week and final days of 2020. Why now, instead of a month ago or two months ago, when we all knew it was going to happen, said it many times, written it many times, but why did it take so long? Needing to find every last little bit of money. Gotta look, we're not going to do a, we're not going to sign a deal when you're at 80% of the budget or 90%, I mean, a hundred percent. When we get there, done deal. We're going to announce it till that point ain't happening. Been hearing for a little while. Hinch is truly chasing down the last couple hundred thousand, right? Not million, but chasing down compared to the big number you have to satisfy it's a tiny percentage, but even then, Hey, we need to lock it all in and then we'll announce and confirm. Just mention that Andy, because Romash showing up with potentially 3 million at Andretti. I don't think that does anything like what they need. And so 
Well, I would say if he were able to, uh, the team in theory should be able to give him a more competitive car than he will get at Dale Coyne. That's once again, no disrespect to Coyne, but we know where one sits in the current pecking order of achievement to the other. Uh, I still think he's going to be in a pretty good place at Coyne. Um, we'll just have to see where his head is at. So uh, he has great potential rarely connects to that full potential for more than one or two races in a row, throw in all new tracks, brand new car, bunch of people he's never raced against. Don't happen to know their driving styles and his propensity for making errors and, or not showing all of his potential. Uh, it's going to be, uh, it's going to be an interesting year. A lot of people are going to be rooting for him coming off of, crazy crash and fire mirror he's yeah he has has definitely got a lot of folks behind him we'll just have to see if that translates into perform ons uh nick dovniak hey mp since i can't see how we go back to more on track open testing anytime soon when do you think teams will start to invest in their own driver in the loop simulators says other series have gone almost exclusively to this type of testing would imagine the larger teams would jump soon, but you ever see any of the mid-sized teams making this jump? I don't. What I don't know, Nick, and I just it's something I'll need to ask is what does one cost today? What is the full badass amazing DIL? What is what would it cost to build one of your own? Could I see a Penske doing it? Could I see a Ganassi knowing that they have two, three, four, you know, multiple series they're in? You probably spread that across and justify it for just an IndyCar team. That might become a little bit stiff. Could I see a co-op type deal? You know, hey, we were thinking of we want one, but we can't afford it, and you want one, but you can't afford it. How many of us can get together and contribute? And hey, all of a sudden, it's like a timeshare rental. All right, we get it on Tuesdays and uh, every other Thursday, and you get it. Who knows? But yeah. It's a great question. I just need to find out the number. Uh, JJ Gertler. How you doing, JJ? I don't know why I just said your name with such strain in my voice, but it's okay. I says, with Lola and its wind tunnel up for sale, as reported by some guy in Racer, would it be realistic to think that an IndyCar team might add those facilities? Penske pretty much already has everything Lola has, but $10 million doesn't seem out of reach for several other owners. Also, is Penske Cars operation in England still in use, or have they consolidated stateside? I feel like I should know this, and I feel like I've forgotten the last part. I guess the the Lola the Lola acquisition stuff. My only question on this in terms of value is it's been a while, I believe, since any of it was used, maintained. I know that whether it's just the controls in software and otherwise, you know, these things I believe are probably outdated a bit if we're talking a wind tunnel and so on and so forth. So, you know, being remote, being based in the UK, having to pay folks far away to do these things compared to it being local in whether it's Indiana or North Carolina, not saying that there would be zero people considering it. I just, 
if Lola shut it down in 2018, 2019, I think you'd have a lot of folks inquiring. The fact that it's been a while, that's where things maybe fall off the rails a little, little bit. Uh, Let's see, where do we go next? Justin Holmes, Marshall, my questions have been putting you off lately, so how about we restart? You know, Justin, I apologize. Last episode, your question did vex me, and I definitely let that vexation be known. I shouldn't have. Um, I should be better than that. I'm not. That's why y'all listed the show, because you know I'm garbage. But uh, I apologize. Sincerely apologize. It says, did you run any Super Vs in the late 80s and early 90s? My friend still has his and talks about how great those cars were. Is there anything you can add about those cars? Uh, the last time that I was involved in the running of uh, Super V would have been 1988. Started in 86 when I was, again, I don't, I apologize. You do this long enough and sometimes exact specifics on dates and times get a little bit fuzzy. I was either 15 or 16 when I started in high school. Uh, did it through... I think halfway through, maybe. I don't remember the exact duration, but 88. Uh, 88, I also went to work for my very first prep shop, racing car prep shop, where I was the only mechanic there in Silicon Valley and uh, Mountain View. Um, yeah, I loved them. I loved Atlantic Cars, too, which was the direct rival. Uh, their indie lights existed for sure and was a level above both super v and atlantics but if you spoke with any of the drivers the badass drivers even the not badass drivers who competed in atlantics and then drove indie lights cars you will hear none of them talk about how much they loved indie lights cars and the magical things they did it was usually all the things they didn't do they were faster but certainly uh not meaner than the Atlantic cars with all the grip and just wow. So between the two, I fortunate to work in both series, both the Atlantic series and super V's, uh, the super V's smaller, less power by 50, 60, something like that. Uh, skinnier tires, not as much downforce. They were slower than Atlantic cars without a doubt. Not by a crazy amount, but they were certainly slower. I just, yeah, I loved them, probably because they were they were my first. Um, just there's a, a, I guess to me, a bit of a purity to a Super V chassis of that era compared to Atlantic's. And I'm not saying there was anything unpure about Atlantic's, just Super V was pretty straightforward. Uh, you know, skinny-ish thing uh skinnyish small smallish motor uh even though the atlantic motors were i believe the same exact displacement it's just a little bit of a smaller footprint um you know had pretty good tunnels on them to make downforce but the cars the super v's were known as or referred to as mini indie cars mini indie you're going to see the mini indies run and that was a bit of the mindset of them, of miniaturized indie cars. And so, like I said, a little narrower, a little skinnier, not as much power, 
get to the Atlantics and oh boy, that's a lot of tire and it's more wing and it's bigger tunnels and you've got, you know, 240 horse or whatever, 250 compared to a, whatever it would have been 170 ish, uh, maybe 180 um, in super V and it, there was nothing mini indie about them. They were, <laughs> they were indie cars just in a little more compact form and wow, just accelerated like mad cornered. Like you wouldn't believe breaking just things where the drivers who got a lot out of them were just mesmerized, loved them and did things that looked heroic on track. Even those who weren't great would just say, oh my gosh, this thing was so above my head. I don't know if I remember hearing so much of that about Super V's. And while I certainly appreciated many of the things that I saw Super V drivers do, don't remember being blown away by them compared to what I saw by Atlantic drivers in Atlantic cars. So, uh, loved Super V's. Just, yeah, uh, boy kind of fortunate to have also worked in Atlantic, both some of the older ones, just the, uh, aluminum tubbed, you know, old monocoque chassis, riveted bonded, you name it, Ralts and such, but then also got a chance to work on carbon and carbonish stuff from Swift. And then the later, uh, mid nineties ish Ralts as well. And yeah, boy, uh, even got to do a little bit of stuff and what I think, at 99 or 2000 with the swift 007 and doing some engineering there and yeah boy just saying if i had a chance justin to go back and do anything if we're talking open wheel would i love to work on an indycar team today sure but it'd be curiosity hey what's different how do you do things differently i'm sure i'm gonna have to not just forget but ignore a lot of the stuff that I know because it's probably old and lame and you do a lot of things better. I would say if I had a chance to go back and run a Atlantic car, uh, <laughs> either as a mechanic or crew chief or Atlantic, uh, Atlantic engineer, um, things that I've done in the past, I'd probably rather do that. Uh, just because I love them that much and they make me so happy and it would be a great connection back to my youth. Same thing with Super V, man. Um, I, I I feel like I'm just ready to go do kind of anything. So thanks for sending this in, Justin. Uh, Frank Krimmel says, Marshall, great job with everything you do to keep us fans informed with everything that's going on in the grand sport that is IndyCar. Um, well, thanks, man. Uh, I do my best. You say, any rumblings on sponsorship for the Foyt? Number 14 entry. I have zero for you, Frank, and probably due, if not entirely due to a little bit of separation of church and state. So our dear friend, Sebastian Bourdais, driver of the number 14, AJ Foyt Racing Chevy, uh, we're super close. Love each other. Well, I don't know if he loves me. I love that guy. Uh, One thing I don't do, which I'm sure the team doesn't believe. Hello, AJ Foyt Racing. Um, I don't ask him for details like that, nor does he divulge those kinds of things. And so, granted, we talk about all kinds of other things, uh, way quadruple off the record, 
uh, hey, Seb, I'm hearing that over, not an IndyCar, but hey, I'm hearing that over here in this place, uh, if you know people over here, you might call them now because, you know, there could be something good there happening at some point in time. But when it comes to the Foyt side, uh, we just don't cross that line. We just, and truly, don't plan on doing it. Let's go to a cluster here. Our pal Drew Wetzel, new listener to the show. And by the way, whenever you all send in questions for the first time, please let me know. I love it. Drew did recently. Uh, the Wawa 24 from Reddit and also our pal Joey of the Priuses. I'm dropping the I from I, Joey, because it sounds like a Disney Channel name. Uh, y'all are talking about IndyCar drivers and the Rolex 24. Drew says, why aren't there more IndyCar drivers participating? Is it a lack of available seats? especially if they're limited to Honda and Chevy or lack of interest says, I'm especially thinking about guys like Joseph Newgarden, Will Power, Tony Kanon, Pato Ward. It's great to see so much IndyCar talent in the field this year, but I'd love to see those guys racing too. He also says, thanks for answering my questions lately. Not a problem. Uh, the Wawa 24 says in light of the Rolex 24, if you had to pick four current IndyCar drivers for a Rolex 24 entry, who would you pick and why? Uh, and then Joey says, if IMSA allowed teams to enter current spec Indy cars in the Rolex 24, how many hours do you think the engines would last? In my mind, I'm seeing all but one engine expire by hour 12, while Dixon manages to keep his alive for the rest of the race with no issues. Driving solo, of course. Uh, we'll go backwards here, Joey. Okay, so we know that we never have... IndyCar engines running on super speedways for multiple hours in a row at full throttle, full speed, more or less maximum RPMs. So I know you asked a bit of a jokey question, but I'll go serious here a little bit. While we know that the Indy 500 lasts three plus hours and Pocono could be very long and so on, with the amount of yellows that happen in cautions, we just do not have oh, pit stops as well. We do not have sustained hour after hour after hour of the motors being wound up at maximum RPMs like we would simulate pretty heavily at the Rolex 24, the uh, Daytona circuit, knowing that they dive into the infield at turn one, do the little infield bit, come back out, basically kind of sort of turn one just exit a turn one are up and flying high in the banking down the back straight into the chicane and then back up to top speed top everything and zoom around that portion of the oval so i know that we'd have the road racing bit in between and braking and downshifting and slowing and all that but there'd still be a lot of of high load going on in those engines especially on the oval portions. so yeah how long yeah, something makes me think five to six before things would start to get problematic. I don't know why, but that's a number that comes to mind. Uh, Scott Dixon, yeah, he'd probably be able to do... He could do the 24-hour race solo. I don't know if his hands, wrists, neck, knees, ankles, or any other joints would still work after the race, but he could probably do it and maybe only on three pit stops. So there are your verified answers. No questions as to their accuracy. Uh, let's see the Wawa 24. What would I do for a four driver IndyCar car lineup? That's a 
delightful question as well. We have some pretty good ones in that race. Simon Pagano for sure. Uh, no question that we would want him. He'd probably be my first draft pick, just knowing his sports car pedigree. Who else? Um, we know that Alejandro Rossi is in that race. Probably go with him. Colton. I like Colton as well. Uh, who? I mean, Graham's won the thing before, uh, but Hunter Ray we know is there. Marcus Erickson. I don't know if he's going to get to drive this weekend. He's the reserve, but uh, I'm just running down the list here of who all and what all. Renus is involved uh, this year for a first time. Connor's done it before. Charlie Kimball, I believe, previous winner. I know he's done it before. Oliver Askew doing his first this year. Let's see who else. Zach Veach. I know I'm running through the 2020 driver list. Uh, Hinch has done it. Canon. Kellett, I believe. Elio for sure. Bourdais. Hmm. If I had to pick four, who would I go with? All right. Dixon's one. That's pretty easy. Uh, I've already, uh, he's two, I should say. I've already picked Pagano. Um, can I pick Pagano again? Uh, I like Rossi. Rossi is, I mean, Rossi's just stupid good, period, in anything he's in. Um, boy, and then I'm probably going to piss off uh, whomever I don't pick from there on out. Uh, you know, just sentiment, Marco Andretti. I want to see him doing sports car stuff. I mentioned recently, having seen him, that I've seen him do incredible things and prototypes. I assume we're talking a prototype here. So, Pagano, Dixie, Rossi, and Marco. So is that a winning lineup? I don't know. I'm sure you'll tell me if it isn't. Uh, where do we go here? We go up one more to our pal Drew Wetzel. It says, why aren't there, as he mentioned? That's the part, Drew, where not totally sure if I can give a linear answer for all. I do know that a number of IndyCar drivers, some of whom you have mentioned, wanted to, were looking for, searching for, either were unable to find, because there aren't as many DPIs, that's really a pro-level class, or GT Le Mans, which is the pro-level GT cars. We know that, obviously, you know, Renus is an LMP2, which is the Pro-Am prototype class. Uh, Colton's in the Pro-Am GT class. Would just say that for some that you mentioned who either would be first-timers or haven't done it for a while, they're really looking for the fastest thing. And whether it's the fastest prototype or fastest GT, those are the two places where the most amount of opportunities not really there. So I think that's one serious limiting factor. The other one, as I've heard, is there are still some team owners who say, nope, I uh, don't want you to do it. There's risk involved, and we just know uh, we don't want to have you possibly hurt yourself. Now, could some drivers in that same team have done their contract differently, saying, hi, uh, you know I'm a sports car person too, and I want to sign a drive for you and continue doing so in IndyCar, but to do that, you're going to have to allow me to play in sports cars? It's maybe a little bit different than someone who's only ever been an IndyCar driver, wants to branch out, but uh, maybe hasn't secured that right contractually. 
Last thing I'll mention here, and uh, I don't think he's going to listen to the show. He's got better things to do, like the Rolex 24. But I realize that in my choice of four, Joey, and you're probably going to light me up on Twitter and tag him with it, I didn't mention my man, uh, Sebastian Bourdais. So let's just say he's done enough of it, right? I would have put him in there, but uh, uh, the excuse I'm going to use is I want Marco to be happy. So that's why I didn't put Seb in there. And if you believe that, well, you're a silly, silly man. I just forgot. Uh, Bob Gravel, which team would best compete against Team Penske in the Penske Games? I think I would very much like to see Takuma Sato do a dizzy bat. I haven't watched any of the recent latest Penske Games stuff, Bob. I don't know if I just kind of it ran its cycle for me or if I'm just missing out. So who knows? Maybe there's uh, Maybe there's some stuff I'm missing. Which team? All right. Now we're going to run through here. And again, what I do, I'm already hated by half of the teams. Uh, Maybe I can get more of them to hate me. Yeah, I don't really see this being a Ray Hall Edelman Lanigan thing. Um, Really good people. Uh, And Bob and, you know, there's David Letterman, obviously. There's some uh, funny, jokey comedian types. Uh, I just don't know if that's going to be it right there. Uh, might apply the same to Ed Carpenter Racing. Uh, Dale Coyne Racing, uh, I don't know. I think the Ganassi team might take it too seriously if they were put in that position. Not quite sold on Air McLaren SP, Andretti, or AJ Foyt. I think the team, and it's small, so I'm not sure how we balance it out numerically, but Meyer Shank Racing strikes me as the type to show up blitzed to begin with and you know how's this if there were any real like bar type things involved right whether it's darts uh throwing hatchets or whatever else you know that you need to have a couple ambulance ambulances outside because i think a few penske uh games participants or penske participants in the whatever the hell you call this games thing uh i I think there'd be a couple nights in the hospital um i love the blue collarness of myershank racing that's why i could see these guys doing this i just picture them like on their day off uh whatever lake uh with shank um you know lighting m80s and throwing it in just to see what they in the water to see what might surface um i don't know and none of this may happen but i just have this picture of you know local police looking the other way these guys are just nuts having fun uh technically you've broken 47 local ordinances by firing this off and doing that and blowing this thing up and whatever but just if you would go back inside uh we won't arrest any of you I just have that mental image, not accurate, I'm sure. It just makes me think from a Penske game standpoint, they might not beat the Penske people in those games, in the actual games themselves. But I have a feeling there'd be enough mayhem and, you know, some black eyes. I have a feeling like the Penske people would win those games, air quote win, but there's going to be a lot of you know arms and slings and 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 black eyes and busted lips and limps 
and torn clothing and, you know, little clumps of hair missing, maybe a couple teeth searching for and just a collective, ah, man, I don't think we're going to invite those guys back next year. That's some sort of animated something I'd love to see because I got to believe that that might actually be true. All right. What are we going to do here for the next little bit? We're just about an hour, a little under an hour and 15 right now. Let me go into a little bit of overtime. Some of the questions below the line of the questions assembled by our pal, Tim Falkowitz, uh, Chris Hoffman. You say, Marshall, I saw the picture of you on the phone with some drivers over the weekend. and just have to ask if your Y-O-U-R, Y-O-U apostrophe R-E, trying to give Jerry Hildebrand a run for his money with your hair. No, because mine's better. He would have to give my hair a run for its money. Um, <laughs> it's amazing how many comments I've gotten about my hair or lack of hair. So uh, I don't mind the fact that my hair is... Uh, leaving my head uh my father was mostly bald by his late 40s so i'm actually having a bit of a longer relationship with my own than was expected um my wife likes my hair and likes it long and not saying that this has always been a thing but having let it grow out during the pandemic when uh barbers and whatnot were all shut down um she's just said hey keep it and so i have and so here you go that's the reason why as for JR, eh, I think I might, I think I, if we had just a how long is the hair contest, I think I would win that right now. But yeah, uh, it's just retreating from my scalp. So we'll see how much longer I have it. That's actually the reason why I'm just letting it grow as well. Like, I'm not going to have it for that much longer. So I may as well enjoy it. Um, and then also because of the number of comments that I got, one of them from our pal Ryan Terpstra on. I almost didn't know who was talking uh, not too long ago on one of these videos because a person who looks a little bit like you and sounds like you was on the screen, but he did not have a hat. So I think it was an imposter. Got a lot of those. And so I said, okay, although I don't wear a hat in the house when I'm doing these videos with people at wherever, I'll just do it because it's apparently on brand. I don't know. Uh, the next one I'll do, I'll try and wear my Jimmy Bly driven hat, by the way. So there you go. Uh, Kevin Perez, Frederico, you mentioned stuff here and I'm reading through. Oh, and you've mentioned drifting and time attack, brother. It wouldn't be a question from you if it didn't come with a, if IndyCar would do something the way that drifting and time attack does, it would all be much better. Uh, I'm giving you a little bit of stick here, brother, but you know, there kind of comes a point where you go. Most people don't remember drifting exists and almost nobody knows time attack exists. So while they certainly do things, uh, yeah. Um, Bob Gravel, you're back with a new interesting video coming out from Robert Wickens about his hand driving setup. I have two questions. Do you think that once he has figured his setup out completely, You'll have a ride available to him in IndyCar. Also, would IndyCar allow him to drive in a race with his reduced ability to exit the car in an emergency and with needing custom controls that are unlikely to be provided for in the rules? 
I can share a little bit about this, and that's just because I have a little bit of knowledge. Seeking more, I'm waiting for more to come back, actually, so coincidental timing. Might have heard me mention on the podcast before that prior to Air McLaren SP's move to Chevrolet as its engine partner, there were plans afoot by Honda to try and make this happen hand controls how do we do it we want to get you back in the car um this is good for everyone how do we do this obviously in this bringing in a new partner in mclaren uh not a money partner but just a partner air mclaren sp is is rebranded new engine partner as well new drivers new everything it didn't surprise me that at the same time they also would say, hey, and we're going to try this new thing to get Robbie in a car as well. I know I wanted him in one. He wanted to be in one. I've said it. Everyone's probably said it or thought it, but I get why that wasn't on the table in 2020 and then with COVID thrown in. Ask this question of, hey, there's still a great desire for him to be racing an IndyCar. Uh, Any thoughts on whether that could become a thing? And uh, was told that, not saying it's right now I have no updates on whether if and when it would become an active project but there's been discussions about the potential of it becoming an active project so that enthuses me uh, i'm just waiting to hear back more in terms of is there a timeline for it or is it just still a bit of a unassigned ambition without and it's going to happen by date x so i'm um, hoping to find out more there on the IndyCar front, I will try and remember to ask that question as well. Provided I get the info back I'm waiting on about Robbie from the team and this hand control return to IndyCar, developing hand controls uh, to then allow him to drive an IndyCar, there'd be a natural component of, hey, IndyCar, uh, would you allow it? Because there'd be no reason for them to do it if he would not be allowed. So... Hopefully, this will be something we speak more about here before too long. Uh, Lance Snyder, Minister of Mirth, on our lovely show, says, MP, hashtag me personally. Think an IndyCar version of Scooby-Doo would be great. I would put Joseph Newgarden as Fred. Shaggy would be Will Power. Daphne would be Simona De Silvestro. Velma would be Danica Patrick. And Scooby would be voiced by Connor Daly. Uh, what say, hashtag you personally? I can't think of many improvements or any improvements um new garden is fred i might put ray hall in there maybe um yeah i think i might that might be the only one that i swap out um danica's velma i might need you to explain that one to me a little bit i like connor uh voicing scooby for sure um the power as shaggy i mean that's that's the most accurate thing you've ever written so uh print it and frame it my man uh let's see jerry so if you say with the news of ed jones return confirmation of simona at the 500 who are some of the other recent drivers you'd like to see return says hashtag me personally i'd love to see jack hawksworth and carlos munoz get another chance Yeah, I would put Jack at or near the top of that list. 
I think with what he has learned and developed in sports cars, adding to what he already had open wheel. If we're talking a return, I'm just going to say, I assume Jerry, we're talking about not with a team that's going to be running last, but a real, here's a reason to return. Cause you're going to get to show something that you weren't able to before big team, good team, etc. I think Jack would be a real surprise to a lot of people uh, who, at least on the indie car side, might have forgotten that he exists because we just haven't seen him for a couple of years. Uh, let's see, where would I go? Uh, I mean, I know Matthias Laced had a couple brief little flirtations with good stuff, but uh, he just wasn't in a team that was capable of delivering anything for him. Um, so I know he's someone who had talent. I don't know how much, but just felt like, boy, uh, he didn't really get a proper shot. Gabby Chavez, I'll throw in here. Uh, again, if we're using the, at a bigger team that we know can show and give them a chance at, you know, something, if not a win, then not too far from a win. I feel like Gabby is someone, maybe more ovals and road courses, just because we've seen big performances on ovals from him. I'd love to see him for sure. Tristan Vautier jumps out. We got to see him do some pretty cool stuff, uh, subbing for Seb when he was hurt in 2017. Boy, where else um, Where else would I go here? Just last three, four, five years maybe. I'm trying to think, is there anyone else that has uh, fallen out you know, maybe one that uh, definitely intriguing for, I mean, I'll throw Matthew Brabham in because uh, I've said that plenty of times. That kid, uh, I think he's a, a serious lost talent uh, who didn't get a shot that he probably should have. But for someone who keeps trying to get in and keeps trying to be around and showed us some things to make us think that he had something worth developing, I guess the last one I'll throw in, Jerry, would be R.C. Enerson. Um uh, he was he impressed me uh, when I had no expectations for him. Not because I thought he didn't have skill, just wasn't jumping into a big team, didn't have a lot of testing, so on and so forth. Uh, this kid at some bad fast tracks was doing some really impressive things. Imagine if he was in, you know, a front runner. What could he do there? So that's probably where I'm going here. Um, we're going to end here. Last couple. Let's see, Bob Gravel, you're back again. Uh, the one about ultra open teams, send that back in brother. Um, Jens Jensen, Jens, tell me, am I, should I be pronouncing that first J with a hard J or is that more the Y Jens? I never know. Um, says what IndyCar champ car, et cetera, race. Do you wish you had attended? says hashtag me personally as a European Laos, it's ring 2001 would be his choice. It says to have heard those awesome engines and see the cars on an oval. But on the other hand, would not be happy to see Zanardi's accident in person. I think you're I think you're onto something here, Jens. And I just kind of blended J and Y and tried to split it down the middle there. Uh, the coinciding of Cart's European adventure, which extended with Champ into uh, and with Champ Car for a little while. I missed all that. Uh, 2001, I was working in the good old Earl, the Indy racing league. And so that wasn't an option. And I retired at the end of that year to, uh, end up doing what I do now. So 
Yeah, gotta admit, um, missed all of that. And going to uh, Rockingham and Zolder in Belgium, right? And Austin, and you know, there's a lot of amazing European tracks, ones that you know, the mid Ohio's and maybe Road Americas, Road Atlanta's, you know, some of those equivalent European equivalents that IndyCar cart slash champ car went to. And I just wasn't working in the, for any teams or in either, uh, in the series then to be able to do that. So yeah, I'm with you. I would actually love to do that. Uh, so tell me what it's going to cost for this time machine you have my friend, and we're going to go, uh, we're going to end this episode. And I don't know, uh, maybe if I have time to get to a part, the part two, I will, um, I'll try. It's a bit of a, I guess I mentioned crazy week, but we're going to close with our pal, Matt Philpot, a man who has, as someone who has, uh, been told to sit and watch some recent celebrity jeopardy episodes with my wife who wanted to watch them. You're a man who has four T's in his name, Matt. That's phenomenal. And two P's. I mean, wow. Yeah. Uh, buying some vowels and hopefully winning on the other ones. Uh, our pal Matt, a member of the Prude, closes our show by asking, this question, comment, contains either pure genius or absolute insanity. I'll let you be the judge. Indy 500, traditional rows of three, standing start. Thoughts? <laughs> I don't remember if it was last week. I don't remember if it's in the part two. But there was someone who asked about Lamont-style starts, running to the cars like they used to do at Lamont, climbing in. Hopefully, some of them buckled in right away. Many didn't, and then driving off and starting the race. I think if we're going to do this, a running standing start would be the thing. Uh, it's absolute insanity, but it's also pure genius because that's you, Matt Philpot. As a member of the Prude, I believe you're required to have both. So, yes, this would be a case of running starts with drivers running to their cars, jumping in. We know that some truly struggle to belt themselves in. So that could be the real problem. Now, keep in mind, there is a mechanism we could do here to make sure that the drivers did not pull away without doing up their belts. So as some of you may have seen, there was a uh, modification that came in, I believe it was 2008. And it's a, it's a little electronic detent. I don't remember who makes it, but it's basically just a little uh, piece and I apologize, my abilities to describe are waning here at the close of the show. But when the refuelers take the fueling probe and plug into the car to start refueling, the probe actually pushes in. It's a little, again, little electronic sensor um, with, I don't know, it, just a little piece that sticks out. And when the fuel probe goes in, it pushes in this little sensor. And when it is pushed in, the drivers are unable to select a gear. So this is wired into, obviously, the car, the vehicle's loom. And once that sensor is 
hit by the probe and depressed, it tells the GCU gearbox control unit, hey, you can't put the thing in gear. And once the refueler pulls the probe out, the little sensor thing extends, basically goes back to its normal place, and the GCU is told, hey, you can put it in gear. It just ensures that, again, hoping a driver uh, took it out of gear uh, while sitting there, but long story short, it's to make sure the driver doesn't pull away with the fuel probe still connected. Now, does that, could it happen or has it happened with the fuel probe coming, say, halfway out and kind of getting cocked sideways? You know, understand it's maybe not 100% foolproof, but that's the intent behind it. We would have to, with the uh, safety belts, we would have to have something in the main buckle in the middle that had some form of the little electronic sensors that were get get pushed in and so every single one has to go click 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 get everything connected and once that is done sensors would tell the car hey this could be fired this would also be we would assume uh something where we have the onboard starters coming in 2023 so we would have this little electronic system that says no you can't start the car until every single buckle or every single portion is buckled in then you could fire the car then you could go so that's my thought um ultimately i think matt the who would drive away first or last would come down to who's able to do the full buckling on their own and how quickly so uh that's my thought is it pure genius or absolute insanity in my response once again you be the judge all right i am marshall pruitt this is our marshall pruitt podcast weekend indycar listener q a brought to you by cooper tires the justice brothers toronto motorsports.com thank you for listening <laughs>